Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to episode one of the Keith Walsh podcast. It is. Thursday evening, it's late in the evening, it's late in the evening, there shouldn't be much more singing than that, I hope, if you're lucky, um, and it is, I'll tell you exactly what it is, 10 to 10, my wife just called me from downstairs, um, she just rang and said, where are you? <laughs> okay. I'm upstairs, dicking around with me podcast. And I sort of snuck away to come upstairs and record the intro to episode one. And it's the kind of thing that I just wanted to be in the mood for it. just wanted to be, feel like I could just get on the mic and there might be a nice flow to what I need to say. First of all, you're very welcome. And thanks for downloading the podcast. I have a Gmail account. It's keithwalshpod at gmail.com. And what I'd really appreciate is stuff from you guys, from you listening. Just thoughts, questions, complaints. If there's something you're involved in, a bit of a campaign, as I mentioned before in the trailer, you know, maybe maybe you want to say how great your coffee guy is or maybe you want to thank your local bus driver or tell me why your postman is great. Or, and particularly in this one, if you work in the hospitality industry and you have some great stories or a great story or, you know, I mean, it's the usual kind of, the go-to stories if you work in hospitality is, I met a celebrity and it was amazing or it was terrible. But I know people working in pubs, hotels, restaurants, and there's other places within the hospitality industry. I know you've got the great stories. You've got the good stuff and I want to hear it. So email me with anything, stories questions as i said to keithwalchpod at gmail.com and i will read them and you know maybe this podcast will just become me reading out your emails and responding to them or i'll definitely would like to do a couple of episodes just doing that the podcast is i don't really know what it is but i've been making some episodes, I've been putting together some interviews 
And after I made the trailer, I kind of started thinking about what it really is or what I really wanted to be. And I just wanted to be real conversations with you and with the guests. So real people just having a conversation. Uh, This Friday, and that could be last Friday, but this Friday is Culture Night in in Kildare and all over the country. And I will be interviewing Luca Bloom. And uh, there's my first sort of name drop. Luca Bloom is going to be my guest in the Riverbank Arts Centre in Newbridge. And I'm really looking forward to talking to him. But we had a Zoom call in advance of the chat just to catch up and see what we were going to do. And he said, he seemed a little bit concerned about what it might be. And I said, look, Luke, I just want us, Luke, Luca, I'm already shortening it to Luke. Luke Bleu. Instead of Luca Bloom. Barry Moore, actually, is his name. He's Christy Moore's brother, just in case you don't know who he is. And he's a singer-songwriter, and he's brilliant. And I said, uh, Luca, I just want this to be a chat, a genuine, in-the-moment, vital, real chat about life between the two of us. And everybody else will be eavesdropping. And he just said, he's living in Clare now, but he hasn't lost his Clare accent. He said, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I don't think he said brilliant. He said, that's brilliant. That would, that's just what I want to hear. Because that's what anybody wants to hear. And that's what the podcast is going to be about. It'll be me talking to people, real people, about real things. I feel like I've robbed that from somewhere. Um, normally, if you know me, you'll have listened to me on commercial radio, on breakfast radio. And it's normally very fast paced. You're normally under a lot of pressure to get items away, to play songs, to get the news out, to get to the traffic. There's not a huge amount of time to just, as I am now in this moment, sit back and just talk. So this will be the opposite of that. During a breakfast show or a normal radio show, you've you've got a producer in your ear, you have other presenters, co-presenters. Uh, in the studio talking you've one eye on the news you've one eye on pressing the button to bring in the ads you've one eye on and it's just you know if it's a three hour show it's a three hour breakneck fly by the seat of your pants go 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 type thing and this is different this is just me chilling in my special room upstairs and uh, just talking in the moment my second episode, which was going to be my first episode, will be with Tyg Fleming and his dad, Derry. Um, I was going to put it out as my first, but I thought maybe people might need just a little introducer first, or just, just to give myself time to hype up that episode. It was an episode where I said, Tyg, and I, I kind of hounded him a little bit. I said, Tyg, I'm not making this podcast until you agree to be my first guest on the podcast and eventually he relented and he hasn't done any podcasts I don't think um, so mine was the first and I'm delighted to have him and it's an interesting conversation and I'll tell you more about it uh, in the nep- next episode so that was supposed to be the first episode instead I've decided that my first episode will be with 
my friend Mike. Somebody actually told me, to have a good podcast, you first need a good mic. Well, I got a good mic. My friend Mike. When I say my friend Mike, we haven't seen each other in a while, which I do explain in the intro. Um, But this man has cracking stories. Like, I'm... I listen to his stories and my jaw is on the floor. I'm just... I can't believe some of the stuff. Like, one of the... I've recorded a couple of episodes with him already. And one of his stories is about going shopping for a jumper with, like, a serious metally rock band. And it's just like, what the... Because, I know it doesn't sound like much, but it's like, oh my... Like, how... He worked in a certain hotel in the 90s and a certain bands staying there, like, as you'll hear, the Lemonheads, the Cult, any band worth its all coming through London stayed in that hotel. So he's got all the stories. The reason this is the first episode is because, as you will hear, Mike had a vital role in the day the Kurt Cobain sadly passed away. And Mike was vital in how things went down in London. So Kurt was in America when he passed away. But Courtney Love was in London staying in a hotel. That's all I'm telling you. You'll have to listen to our chat. So welcome along to the Keith Walsh podcast. This is the first episode. And this is me chatting with my friend Mike. Enjoy. I'll be back afterwards. So when I thought about doing a podcast or putting a podcast together, I immediately thought I'd like to do definitely one and maybe lots of podcasts with one guy in particular. He was my boss in a hotel I worked in in London in the 90s. I don't remember a lot of the 90s. Um, but he's a very interesting guy. He's got lots of great stories because he's always worked in hospitality and guest services, kind of. He'll explain more. I'm probably downplaying his his career so far, but um, very interesting guy. Uh, Always liked talking to him. Always liked, I liked working for him. And we actually, we will talk about it a bit more, but we we, we haven't spoken to each other for years and we we only kind of met up very recently. Again, and uh, it's great that he's here. He's on the podcast. His name is Mike. Mike Marin, how are you? I'm very, very well, and thank you for that lovely introduction. And yeah, I, I, will, I, pro- I will be as self-deprecating as is physically possible. I feel like I would have given you a better introduction if I'd known more about you, but the truth is that we probably haven't spoken. Up until this year, we haven't spoken uh, since the 90s, maybe? I, I worked it out. It's 23 years since we actually uh, got in contact with each other. And, uh, and, and the reason I got in contact with you is because I was rudely awoken by my radio one morning um, last year while I was getting ready to do a shift at my current job. And uh, Rising Time came on the radio. And there's this, this sort of dulcet tone, this flat-accented man came on and said... Uh, any requests there, Keith.Walsh at RTE.whatever it was, i.e. And uh, I sat there and I just, I sort of went into the shower and came back out about 20 minutes later thinking, is that Keith Walsh that used to work in, in, in a hotel in London that we, we shared many's the day with? 
and it was. So I texted you, and I texted you something along the lines of, are you the Keith Walsh that um, I actually emailed you? I, I emailed you something along the lines of, are you the Keith Walsh that broke my fridge freezer? <laughs> to which you replied, Oh, yes, yes. I, I, I can't remember, but I presume I said, Yes, I did. It was me. I did break fridge freezer. You did. You did very really badly. Because um, I worked in uh, juries in South Kensington uh, for a summer, at least, well, with you for one summer, and a little bit longer than a summer, maybe six months. And you kindly allowed me to stay in your house when you went away for a couple of weeks because I was living in a tent at the time. And I broke your freezer. What was your experience like, Mike, coming home to the house after your holiday? Could you just explain, like, maybe walking in the door, what you found? Well, it, it would have been, if it was just a normal holiday, you know, so I'd done a week in Greece or something, it would have been uh, forgivable. But coming back into the house with my new wife, because we were on honeymoon. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, carrying her over the threshold um, into what I expected to be a nice sort of clean and tidy house, because you'd given me all sorts of assurances, because you were living in a tent at the time, uh, that you were domesticated. And I uh, came back in, and all I could hear was the screaming and whining from the kitchen of my fridge freezer, trying to keep cold. But there was no way it was broken. <laughs> there was a puddle of sort of, uh, I think, strawberry-coloured water all over the floor. So, yeah, wasn't wasn't yeah, I think we had, I think we had left the house and left the freezer open. We weren't even using the freezer. I don't even know why it was open. It's not like we cooked food or, like, all we ate was burgers and chips from a chipper. Like, but obviously something happened and the freezer was open. And I think we came back and... We found that it had been left, and your strawberries, your frozen strawberries, had melted, and there was sticky strawberry stuff all over the all over the floor. I thought then we cleaned that up and you know left everything, but obviously we we cleaned it up and then left the freezer still open and left the house. So. You see, the word you keep using here is we. So I said, yeah, you can use the house as long as you're on your own. And you went, yeah, yeah, no problem at all. I, I honestly, I won't have any parties. I won't let anyone else stay. Um, you must have used every towel and bed in the house. And uh, this is, feels like sort of I'm getting something off my chest. I don't know. Why. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, my, my, my wife very nearly left me. It was one of the, it was going to be one of the shortest uh, relationships on planet Earth um, due to the freezer incident. And there were broken glasses. There were shot glasses that were broken in the freezer. And uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was just. It's like coming back to some sort of post-apocalyptic fridge issue. I think you're all right. I think I don't think it was that bad. But the, the funny thing about that is, as you explained, it's like as if we had a. When I say we, it was, it was me. And I, I don't know if you remember my cousin John, who worked in the in the hotel for a while as well. No. Um, he worked in the bar for a little while. But it was me and John. It was just the two of us. So it's not. <laughs> so it's, that makes it worse. It's not like we had a party. But I, I would like to um, tell people a story about how I got your jacket back that you didn't know you lost. Yeah, I, um, I was blissfully unaware about this. So this was a big, like, I wasn't concerned about the state of the house. I thought we left the house fine. Uh, I, was, I was in shock when you came into work and you were like, you were rang me. I was like, what? The house is fine. So that's how, but we were living in tents at the time. So anything 
you know, anything after a tent was seemed to me to be fine. Everything was fine. But the, my big concern was that I had left, I'd gone out one night in, in London. And the thing with when, when we, when we, when I lived in London at that time, that particular summer it was, it, it was just about drinking and that was mm. and trying, trying to get to work at some stage as well. Um, so we'd gone out and we met up with some girls, my cousin, John and myself, and I had worn your fleece. I don't know why I just, grabbed it must have been called must have had a jacket that's it was it was me cast it was probably very expensive and trendy it probably was yeah, yeah so i borrowed your fleece anyway long story short i ended up going back to this girl's house and we both did went back to this house with two girls and we things happened and we left the next day and we came back and i realized i'd left your lovely fleece jacket which i borrowed in the girl's house um oh. so i had no the only way I had of getting the jacket back was a second date. <laughs> so I had to get in touch with the girl, meet her again, maybe not the next night, but the night after, certainly before you got back from your honeymoon. And, uh, and, and, and we had to go on. I wasn't, we had a lovely evening the first night, but I wasn't particularly, you know, I wasn't thinking this is going to be a long-term thing. So like the one night was, was, was great and we had fun, but I wasn't ever expecting to, you know, go back, meet again, but I had to meet again. And then we, I had to go through the whole thing again. I had to go through everything again <laughs> just to get your jacket back, which meant I had to, I had to have drinks. We had an evening together. I had, we had conversation and we had to go back to, I had to go back. I basically was, I, it was a I real sold myself, my body for your jacket. And, and I like the way you're kind of blaming me for that. I mean, that well, I wasn't I my fault. That, that was your fault that you had to go back and, and sort of have a two-night stand instead of a one-night stand. I was blissfully unaware, and I probably wouldn't have missed the fleece jacket. <laughs> so I could have spent the time cleaning your house and fixing your fridge and not meeting up with somebody to get your jacket back. That would have been... Yeah. You could have done. Well, you could have just done that. Uh, and so, listen, um, where... Tell me... How you, because you live in, I mean, I like tell people you live in Clare. Yeah, I live in uh, near Milltown Malbay, down in Clare. How did you end up in Clare? What are you doing over there now? Because you were very much, uh, you were a big noise on the hotel concierge porter scene back in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you were one of the big hit hitters. Um, yeah, I could I could carry bags like no other man could carry luggage. I was you uh, could you I could was, hail, <laughs> hail down a taxi quicker than you yeah. would know. Uh, someone's hit the bottom step of the stairs or uh, or stepped out of the the lift. You would know exactly what they'd need, where their bags were, what kind of taxi they needed, where the taxi was going to, and you'd have sold them tickets to a tour they didn't want to go on. <laughs> And and more than likely some sort of a theatre experience that they really didn't want to go on. They really didn't want to go but, on. But their their wife probably did. Yeah. What was the what was the what was the play that was the longest running play uh, that because we had a lot of Irish people coming to stay and they all wanted to go to see this flip and play. The mousetrap was the, the mousetrap. Mouse yeah. I, I think you must have been on special money to sell the mousetrap because that seemed to be the big one. If you. I, I, you could I always get it. tickets and and the way it worked back in those days before the internet was that uh we had books do you remember we had uh sort of a like little ticket books like raffle yeah. ticket books you give away at a sort of a a village fete and uh 
They had the stalls or the upper circle or the dress circle written on them. So we would ring a, a geezer up in the West End and say, listen, uh, I've got two people standing in front of me for Phantom of the Opera tonight. What can you do for me? And uh, the guy on the end of the phone would go, yeah, I've got that. I've got whatever you want. Um, how much? And I'm going, uh, well, you know, uh, he's saying 60 pounds each because they're really, really limited. And the other guy on the other end of the phone is laughing, going, go on, 65. Go on. <laughs> but if they... And if they were if they were assholes when they came in, we would fleece them. But if they were really nice, normal people, we'd just add a couple of quid onto each ticket and sort of, you know, take it from there. We had to we had to charge a handling fee, of course. We weren't doing it for the love of ourselves or the goodness. Yeah. Of but yeah, we would uh, we would fleece people, and the more assholey they were, the bigger the bill. Well, you kind of like because working in that sort of like basically we were. Porters, concierge was the title, but uh, we yeah. carried carried bags for the most part. But if pe- I suppose if people didn't tip, and we, you know, the money the money wasn't huge. If people didn't tip. You had to try and make a few quid, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> another another way, you know. Yeah, we would we would do anything. We sold uh, tours of London. We sold theatre tickets. We we used Hertz rental, uh, and they gave us a cut off everything. And it was the very early days of uh, mobile telephones. So we would actually rent mobile telephones to people who wanted to look like idiots for the day. Oh, yeah. Um, and we'd charge them like £35 for a phone just to have it. And these were the big old Nokia bricks. Or actually, they were Motorola bricks. Yeah. Um, and you had to carry the battery with you. Um, they, were, they were actually a bit <laughs> but like something you'd see in the Second World War. And uh, we charge people for that. And then they'd make a phone call, they'd get charged like seven quid a minute or something, oh which was God. an awful lot of money. And we'd get, uh, we'd get commission on each and one of, every one of those transactions. So yeah, we were, it was lucrative enough. We but just it was like, a great, I remember it being a great hotel for, like lots of people from Ireland came over because it was juries. Um, it was very central, but it was great for, uh, like people came over when, for, for events. So like if, when, if um, Wimbledon was on, you'd, you'd be kind of organizing tickets for people to oh, Wimbledon. Yeah. So people come over especially from Ireland to go to Wimbledon. London Fashion Week was a great week. I, I feel like I remember some models staying in the hotel. Yeah, but, plenty uh, of them. But also you had a lot of, you were on a sort of, um, you had some, the hotel had some sort of deal with, with touring bands. So we always had bands staying in the hotel as well. It was quite an interesting place, really. And they were odd bands that we had. I mean, we had, um, you might have the crew for this, this group, this super group coming in. Um, you might have just a, a fella on, uh, on, his, on his holidays, having a weekend away from the farm from Wicklow, um, meeting, you know, Barry Manilow for a pint. You know, and it was just one of those odd things. And the lobby held it sort of own because it was huge and it was a, it was a bar at the end of it. <clears throat> so it became this kind of like a nightclub after 11 o'clock, everybody would congregate back. And of That's course right. in London, there was the season. It started off for us with Paddy's day in March. Then you'd have, that would run into Cheltenham. Cheltenham. Yeah. I remember. And then you'd have the, the rugby. The Six um, nations. Five yeah. Nations and I remember one weekend you had Cheltenham finishing. Um, you had Paddy's weekend, the weekend before and England, Ireland at Twickenham. It was literally wedged. And then that would run neatly into sort of um, either Fashion Week or, 
into like, as you said, uh, the tennis at Wimbledon and then Ascot. And there was a real season that people would come and follow and you'd see the same heads come through every year to come over and, you know, you'd see the lot, the, the, the racy set coming in in their Acroscutum stuff and their tweed hats and stuff like that, you know. And they were all very stereotypical. But yeah, it was like, and like, like that was, juries was a lot of people's London HQ, wasn't it? Or it was like, like after the matches, I remember Keith Woods being in the bar after yeah. one of the Ireland games. Uh, I remember, uh, it was sort of where the Irish, it was like the other, the Irish embassy kind of in a way. Well, the embassy was up the road from us on Queensgate. So they would do an awful lot of business through us. Yeah. Uh, I remember it was, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not very good at sports and that's where my, my, you know, people are coming and start talking to me about, oh, did you see this? And did you see that? And I've literally no interest or idea on sport. But uh, I remember Jack Charlton came in with the Irish team for, I'm going to say the Euros or for a World Cup. So it would have either been 93, 94, 95 or 96, whatever thing was happening that year and they had a big they had a big london double decker bus uh with Aer Lingus logos written on it and they came in on that big bus and i'll never forget jack charlton saying uh that two of the lads they had to leave them behind because they'd uh uh what did he say his his turn of phrase was quite good he said we've left two players behind because they've gone and they've uh, they've turned one on in the airport and I said, what do you mean they've turned one on? They've gone drinking, so they're off the team now. <laughs> that was it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and all these people panicking about players. But they came in the next day. Um, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I, well, I can probably guess which two, but let's not. But Yeah, they yeah. were the two you're thinking about. Yeah, they came in yeah. sideways the next day. And probably played probably the best players on the pitch yeah, when they did play or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was great. I mean, I, I remember Boyzone's ba- Boyzone didn't stay there, but their backing band stayed there at the height of Boyzone. Like Boyzone were huge at the time. Yeah. I remember sort of. A, I remember the. I remember Ronan and some of the lads kind of running around town, but but being in and out of juries, you know, very in in great form. You know, a couple of nights in ch- hanging out with the band and. Uh, uh, Bewitched stayed there when they came over, right, and yeah. um, the cores when they were starting off. The cores, yeah, yeah. Louis Louis Walsh was there. Um, all sorts of people that when they were starting off on their sort of their voyages around the world would come do a couple of days in London. Actually, wanted to punch Jim Core uh, because he asked me for um, directions to a uh, music store to get his, actually, we were just talking about this before we started talking on air here. We were just talking about getting um, uh, guitars fixed up. And he said, yeah, I've got to get some new strings for my guitar. And he was like a 12 year old at this stage. They'd not had a single out or anything. And they were going to Japan to do a two day tour. And uh, he started going on about, you know, yeah, we need to get my strings sorted out, my frets and it clean and all this sort of stuff. So I sent him to this very famous uh, record shop at the bottom of Tottenham Court Road. And um, I actually drew on the little map that we used to give people the exit he needed to take, where it was. And he came back two hours later going, you fucking piece of shit. (laughs) You sent me to fucking Oxford Street. And I fucking spent the day going up and down. I've been in top shop with my thing. I banged my guitar off a bin. I fucking told you where to go, you knob. And 
he lost the head completely. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't sound like Jim Carr at all. <laughs> he must. He must have been having a bad day. He must have had that effect on him. It must be the um, But it was. It was. A, it was a very, very interesting place. Do you? Um, I, do you remember how I got the job? Or do you remember meeting me? Or it's, it's I, all like I don't remember much of the nineties, to be honest with you. But it's all very vague, really. I don't remember a whole lot of the nineties myself, but I knew we were on <clears throat> some sort of a. You know, we wanted more Irish staff in juries. And uh, that sounds odd coming from me because you're, you're taking from my accent that I was actually born in London, um, but reared here and sort of I've been over and back since. Yeah. But um, there was this big push. We want Irish lads to come over, you see. So um, if anybody comes in looking for a job, if they're Irish, bite their hands off. And it was like, <laughs> OK, fair enough. And uh, up came this fella. Now, I, were you living in Kildare at the time that you came over or were you in Athlone? No, no, I was in. I had moved to Newbridge at that stage, yeah, because I was thinking it was it was my last. I, was, I think I just finished a leave insert, or I could have been finished my first year in college. Oh no, you were definitely studying something drama wise. Oh yes, I finished. Yeah. yeah, I finished college actually. That's right. So I was twenty-two, maybe. Yeah, maybe less. Old enough to know better. Yeah, 21. you had lots of beads around your neck, and you were sort of. Uh, I don't know, you, you, the, the image that you were trying to get across was sort of Oasis-ish with those little <laughs> kind of sideburns kind of coming ever so slightly forward, like, you know, uh, your man from The Jam, whose name escapes me, Paul Weller. Paul Weller. Yeah, yeah you were kind okay. of, yeah, you were, you were channeling all that sort of mod, sort of rockery type thing. Again, well, I don't really know what the genre is, but that's what you look like. And you came up the steps uh, of the hotel and I was dealing with somebody. And you said to me, uh, here, I don't know if you have any jobs going, do you? And I said, give me a minute. So I dealt with the guy, put him in a taxi, got a fiver, came into you and said, take a seat there. And I said, have you got a CV or anything with you? And you said, no, no, I'm just literally off the boat there from Kildare. Um, now that I know you were from Kildare. And, um, I, I, you know, I just, I, I fancy a job. I said, where are you living at the moment? And you were living in Tent City in Acton Town, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I said, uh, you're living in a tent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you said to me, it costs a fiver a night. So it's like, it's like 35 quid a week. And uh, it's, it's great. And I said... <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should I should explain the Tent City was kind of like if you were to go to London and stay in like a hostel or whatever it was like a hostel but it was intense you know but but anyway yeah carry on but it, yeah it was terrible and you you know you had that sort of look of a man living in a tent about you <laughs> and I, I said, I said to her, so you're, you're from Kildare yeah yeah you haven't got a CV no no CV I said well you know and I was trying to be I was, I was on the back of the 80s at this stage, so interviewing was all about where do you see yourself in five years' time and where do you see this and what do you do? So I thought, you know, I'll go really cool and I'll say, yeah. so have you got any interesting stories about yourself? And you said, yeah, I was in Braveheart. <laughs> and I went, wow, you're hired. So I went into the back office uh, and said to these guys in the back, you know, uh, lads, I, I've, uh, I've managed to do it. I've got somebody from Kildare. And you know what? He was in uh, he was in Braveheart, and both uh, the general manager Seamus McGowan and the financial manager Richard O'Sullivan at the turn turned around to me and said, "Sure, every fucker from Kildare was in that fucking film." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was it. And 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 the one thing you actually came back in, 
and said, listen, um, the uniform is white shirts. Uh, I, I don't know how I'm going to deal with ironing them. And I said, that's okay. When you come, we'll give you a master key. So just come to work five minutes early or whatever, and you can just um, iron your shirt. So that's how we got around that sort of living in a tent. Uh, yeah. Employing vagrants. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And like, I, wow, that's, that was some interview. I, I asked that interview, didn't I? Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. You had me at, uh, you know, I thought, oh God, he's related to Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> he's famous. Oh God. Yeah. Oh God. Little did I know that everybody had been in it. That was, that was, and that was the start of a wonderful five or six months. Yeah. Concierging. We had a ball. I mean, I, I, I remember those times very fondly, especially that hotel. And I'd worked <clears throat> in a number of hotels before I'd got to juries. So I'd had to do, because in those days you had to do um, your stages like you would do in kitchens nowadays. They call them a stage. But you did have to do, you know, I had to do night porter. I had to do uh, luggage porter. I had to do day porter. I had to do desk porter. And then you would be allowed near the, the hollowed sort of place that is the concierge desk, which I managed to get up to in about four years time. So, yeah. And I'd, I'd been working in all sorts of stuff and met all sorts of interesting people before I got to juries. Okay. So you, all right. Okay. So because I was literally a, a, a porter, I just carried the bags really. I, like you, it would be, you'd be on shift, you'd be the, in charge and then, you'd be kind of just sending us off to do bits and pieces. We'd be your lackeys, basically. Yeah, but it was like, it was kind of like herding sheep. You know, <laughs> you lads were just like random because we had a, a group of random. We had, uh, <clears throat> we had Murphy, Brian Murphy, the legend that is Brian Murphy. He was more interested in looking at ladies and playing football than he was at work. And uh, But he was, uh, he was a Murphy. He was Irish, but he was, he was born and uh, bred and buttered in London though, was he? He was a Cockney, oh, yeah, yeah. Cockney and, Irish. Yeah. yeah. Real Cockney Irish. And he, he, um, funnily, he was, uh, he, I remember he moved house famously. And I said, oh, do you need a hand with a van? Do you want, because I had a driving license and uh, Hertz would give us a van. He said, no, 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 I've, I've, I've done it all on the 73 bus. <laughs> so he moved from one bus stop to another on the, on the route of the 73. It was a really well, Did he stay near his, his, he must have stayed right close to Brick Lane or wherever. The, yeah, because he was married, you see, and nobody knew he was married. And then he got divorced and nobody knew he was getting divorced. And then he was marrying another uh, Irish woman. Um, and wow. of course, yeah, and nobody knew. I was one of the only people that knew that he'd actually been divorced and married and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, so it was all a bit, uh, yeah, tense. Anyway, I, f I seem to feel like I'm doing all the talking here. Yeah, that's the idea. That's the idea. I just uh, <laughs> sit back and listen. And um, yeah, it was an inter it was an interesting time. The, the the thing that the one thing before because the thing about this is that I'm hoping to I hope that you will be a regular on this. That would be the idea because I think you've I think you've loads of stories and. Um, and I'm just feeling my way into the podcast. I don't even know what it is or what it's going to be, but sure. Um, what I'd like people to do is send in, if you've worked in hospitality, I'd like you to send in your either famous person you met or just 
a crazy thing that happened or something that happened in when you work in the restaurant or in the hotel or the bar or wherever it was and you can send my email address is um it's keithwalshpod at gmail.com so you can send in your stories and we read them out and if i get a few in and then we get mike back on and we can read them out and we can have the crack with them and mike can, can share more of his story so i know he's booked loads of, of stories about very famous people uh, so that's what part of I'm saying that's part of the podcast. I'm hoping that would be part of the podcast. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what this podcast is going to be. We'll see. This is very early days. Um, but one of the things that, because I was working on gold uh, on in RT there over the during the lockdown, and you mentioned a story about Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain, which I was astonished at. But it's a brilliant story. Yeah. Well, I was I was working at the Milestone Hotel. And uh, that's right across the road from the Royal Garden Hotel. And I suppose more famously, Kensington Gardens, where Princess Diana lived. Kensington Palace was literally across the road. <clears throat> this, okay. this, this hotel burnt down in the late 80s. And it was Prince Charles on a helicopter that saw the smoke coming from the... He actually called the fire brigade. Um, oh. So that's its claim to fame, the milestone. And it was it then got, it got uh, taken over by a... Uh, a prince from Kuwait, Jamil Al-Sani. Uh, <laughs> the Al-Sani family bought this place. And, ah, Jamil, yeah. I know. Yeah, ah, you know Jamil. You know, you, you <laughs> the Al-Sani's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he threw money at the place and opened it up, and uh, it was the nicest hotel. Uh, unlike Jury's, which was uh, a bit of a kip, but had a great sort of soul to it, um, great crack, great yeah, crack. We didn't, mind, we didn't mind what it looked like. Yeah. No, and there was no air conditioning or anything. This place <laughs> had everything. You know, it had places where you could plug your phone in. Uh, it wow. had uh, very early dial-up inter- internet in some of the rooms. In two of the suites had dial-up internet. I mean, it was way ahead of anything. So um, the East West Records was literally around the corner from us. So anybody they'd get in, they would sort of have them in staying with us because it was so easy for them to send their lackeys in to deal with them and uh, sort of set them up and do whatever press they wanted to do. So this woman comes in. uh, She came in under a pseudonym uh, or pseudonym. um, And the reason I can't remember what that word is because my, my boss at the time used to call it Persuado name. So every time someone's <laughs> coming in, he'd say, Yeah, he's under a persuado name. And you kind of say to him, oh, I think it's pseudonym. And then, no, 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 it's a persuado name. Can you not read? <laughs> anyway, I digress. So in comes Courtney Love. Now, we'd had an awful lot of sort of Kurt Cobain and his sort of people in the, uh, oh, the guys who did Mrs. Robinson. Remember those guys? Um, uh, the Lemonheads. The Lemonheads, yeah. all sort of grungy bands had been in and uh, we were getting quite the name and you'd have a couple of groupies around or whatever. So in comes Courtney Love. Uh, and in those days, we had a telephonist down in the basement of the hotel and the telephonist would send up uh, to us via one of these little vacuum suction sort of devices, like a, a sort of a, a, you see them in sometimes in supermarkets, like this kind of hole, this see-through sort of pipe yeah, they put the uh, you put when you when your when your till gets too full, you take yes. out your five hundred and stick it in the and it gets sucked up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I prefer your name for it. The so the yeah, yeah. up comes this <laughs> and uh, can you put this under Miss Love's uh, 
door. I said, yeah, of course I can. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, uh, I popped the, uh, without looking at the message, because it was all sort of labeled up at that point. So stuck it under her door. And about 15, 20 minutes later, all hell broke loose. Um, people from the record company were flying in. People from everywhere were coming in. The press were turning up. And uh, little did I know that I'd actually delivered the note that said that Kurt Cobain had killed himself to Courtney Love, to her. And then I had to sort of get her together um, because there was no, she had no people um, who weren't invested in her from the record company. So she just said, I want somebody just to pack for me. So I just threw all of her clothes into a big suitcase and sort of, you know, got a taxi and off she went on her merry way. And of course, it was only the next day, really, that I realized that, you know, Kurt Cobain is dead and whatever. And it's like, oh, Jesus, that was a little bit of history, a little bit of rock and roll history. Uh, to, like, I love the way you play it down. Like, to, to say that that was a little bit of rock and roll history is like saying that, like, stepping out on the moon was like a, ni a nice walk. Like, <clears throat> you delivered the news. Like, the, I can't get my head around this. I'm sorry now. I know we haven't spoken much about it because you just, you sent me, a, 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 I was on gold on the radio show and I was, I, I was playing, I was kind of asking, and you'd send me in the odd story, you know, about people you'd met. Mm. And it was uh, Iggy Pop and, and we'd get to all those because trust me, people, he has some great stories. <laughs> and you just kind of casually said like this story. And I was like, you delivered the news that Kurt Cobain had killed himself to Courtney Love. Like, you should be, like, I don't know why you're not, this is a stupid thing for me to say, but, like, you should somehow be famous for this. <clears throat> well, the thing is, like, I should be, you know, I'm saying this to you, right, and I don't know whether this adds up, because go fast forward 20 years, right, and I'm doing, yeah. um, I'm doing some uh, airline training, training because I, I worked for an airline for a little while. It's United, and I'm in London, and I'm in Heathrow, and I'm in this group full of predominantly young women, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing here? I'm 50 years old. I'm too old to be learning about airline systems and stuff. And this little Scottish girl says, um, uh, you know, they were going around the room saying, uh, any interesting facts? And I, uh, I said, uh, oh, I once gave a lecture on septic tanks, to which everybody laughed. And <laughs> then she says, I'm Kurt Cobain's number one fan. And I said, oh, I gave Courtney Love the, uh, the message that he killed himself or whatever, or that he was dead. And um, you couldn't have done that because this happened and that's happened. And, and apparently there are thousands of... Uh, theories about that he's not dead or that all yeah. sorts of things and I, I i still don't i haven't read up on it and uh, she got me to say my little story um and put it on facebook and uh, as soon as she kind of took the phone away from me and said there's a man there who's telling the story and he's clearly laying and i'm going i wasn't like what's what happened i can't you know I, I don't know who these people were i didn't know who she was she just looked like a very unhealthy lady who'd come in and a uh, music company. <laughs> she was still sad. Yeah. She was, okay, I guess you didn't even know who she was. So was no, like, yeah. no. But, but the, you see, this, is, this does not help. This does not help with people. Now, people will say that uh, Courtney had some involvement uh, with, with uh, the sad passing of Kurt Cobain. Um, and this would not help that. But then I suppose they could argue, well, she hired a hitman or she did this or she did that. But 
besides all that, you know, it's, I just find it utterly fascinating that I am now and have met and have talked to the guy who delivered the note to, maybe it wouldn't mean that much to other people, but to, to Courtney Love to say that Kurt Cobain was, had shot himself. It's just, um, my mind is blown. Yeah, I don't think it does mean that much to other people because I've said it to a few people, and apart from this Scottish woman who was nuts. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, I think just, you've been, I think you've been telling the wrong, the wrong people. Uh, you know, I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like Irish people might be like, wow. Oh my God, the FBI might be onto me or something. And maybe, maybe I'm, you know, I'm putting two stories together, but I don't think I am. I'm, I'm, I certainly remember everything going haywire. Mm. You know? And my boss kind of going, oh my God, oh my God, this is all happening or whatever. And it wasn't till the next day that I realized who he was because my wife had bought that album, you know, the, the, the famous one that they'd done. Never mind, yeah. Yeah. I've never the mind. famous album, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the way you don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're not, you, I, you know, he's 20 something years old. I'm blissfully unaware of these people. Um, and, and bear in mind, when I would have met Kurt Cobain, he wasn't that famous because they were. Generally, we were meeting people at the beginning of their sort of journey, if you like. Yeah. I hate yeah. using that word. <laughs> journey. It's like, you know, yeah. Also, you, okay, well, I, I should have a... Every time the word journey is mentioned, I should have a little noise or something. But, um, so you... So you met Kurt Cobain as well? Yeah. He was doing um, a gig at, I think, the Royal Albert Hall or somewhere, because we were literally... We were two blocks away from the Royal Albert Hall and we were one block away from East West Records. Um, and we'd also, a lot of the handlers for people who had contracts with East West liked the hotel because of its internet connectivity. Um, so they would all come to us, regardless of whether their artists were on East West Records or whatever. But you'd get all manner of people coming in um to sort of you know to, to do things and and we were it was a sweet spot so i don't know where he was playing i know uh, evan dando was a lovely 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 man again yeah. i didn't know who he was and sally ann was sort of my wife was telling me who he was after he'd left but he was you know i need to do some laundry man and yeah. i said uh, yeah yeah just just fill up the bag in your room and uh you know make mention you've got two pairs of socks and one t-shirt one of no, man, I just want to go like laundrette and do like a fluff and fold or something, right? <laughs> so off he went down the road, down to Kensington and sort of sat there and put his money in the thing and watched his washing go by and came back. And uh, he was playing guitar in the lobby, just strumming away. Um, he just couldn't help himself playing the guitar. He was like, he was like a kid that was addicted to it. And yeah. he looked like a skater boy, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting because I, around that time I would have been, I mean, I, I remember the night Kurt Cobain died and we would have been listening to mostly Lemonheads and Nirvana because Oasis hadn't happened really at that point. Um, and it's mad that that's what was going on. Like, I mean, I end up working with you, but the f I just, I'm just, it's all, my mind's blown. My mind's blown. I wish, I wish I had been, I suppose it would have been 16, 17, 17, 18 I wish I was working in the hotel that summer when Kurt and Evan were around. But uh, but look, at sure, I got to meet Ugly Kid Joe, didn't I, a few years later, so. <laughs> was it you that met the Wannadies as well? Did you did you strike up a bit of a relationship with the Wannadies? Do you remember those, the Wannadies? Yeah, I don't know if I it was friendly with them or there was a few bands. And uh, yeah, they, they were, 
yeah, I used, I was, I friend you a few bands, but then I wasn't necessarily always sure exactly who they were. Yeah. Um, but it was I Brian just, Murphy then. Brian Murphy became. It must have been Brian Murphy. With, yeah. with the one of those. And it was this odd relationship with this little kind of geeky Danish or Scandinavian couple uh, finding him to be the funniest person in the world. How's it going? Yeah, lovely. I love your your music. It's beautiful. And they're going, yes, we like it here also. Beautiful. (laughs) I do remember being asked to go to gigs and not really, I don't think I was really tuned into what was going on around me at the time. I was young and I was living in my own head. Um, And then people would ask me, they'd be like, offer me tickets or, you know, do you want to hang out or something? And I wouldn't really, I wasn't really, it didn't really click with me. I'd be like, Oh no, I have to go back to my tent. Uh, <laughs> and it was only afterwards, a few years later, I was going, I'd hear about a band and I go, Jesus, I think yeah. they asked me to go and hang out with them one night and party and go to their gig. And I was like, just completely like, no, I have to go back to my tent. I'm sorry, thanks very much. Bye now. Just not really. Yeah. yeah. But you so see, I, you're kind of, you're scared almost of, of fame and that sort of stuff at those. And, you, you know, when, when you're young, you're self-obsessed and you've got things to do. And if you're going to your tent that night to read your book, that's what you're going to do. That's, that's all you've got on your mind. It's like, no, that's a bit of an inconvenience for me to go to Camden and watch some superstar play, you know, and get yeah. free and get on the guest list. And you kind of think, yeah. oh, yeah. The amount of stuff I turned down was, was you know, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Christopher Cross came in. You remember that sailing takes me away to where we're going? Yeah, yeah, that song, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you remember him. He famously came in and didn't have any roadies. So his band took the bar staff from Juries on a two-week holiday um, and they were his roadies for two weeks. The lads came back yeah, and they were like, literally tattooed up and everything. These two lads from Belfast. <laughs> like they'd never seen anything like it. Gas. Yeah. They came back with their eyes wide open, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were wearing little they were leather things around their wrists, you know, sort of like, yeah, you know, found true love, man. Yeah. Like, like coming back from Nam or something. Yeah. Post traumatic stress disorders. <laughs> but look at, um, man, that was, this is, look, I know you've tons of stories and I know you've, you know, even people like Iggy Pop, more heroes of mine that you met and, and interesting stories. And so we'll definitely, definitely be talking to you. Uh, a lot, a lot, and I want you to be a regular, a regular part of the podcast. Um, so thanks very much. I better let you. What are you doing today? What are you up to? Uh, well, I'm, I'm sort of uh, having lunch at some point. Okay, I'm, I'm actually on six days off now uh, from work, so uh, so trying to take it easy before uh, my son goes back to school. Okay, right. Well, listen. I hope you enjoy the rest of your your time off. Thanks a million, Mike. Mike Marin, um, for You're joining me, and and uh, we'll talk soon. Excellent Thanks stuff. For me. See you, Mike. Good luck. Well, there you go. That was Mike Marin, my friend Mike, and we'll be talking to Mike again, no doubt. Actually, I've already recorded another one with Mike, uh, as I said, where he goes shopping for a jumper with some rockers that were staying in the hotel. Uh, I didn't really get into the Iggy Pop story. That's a very good story. But believe you me, there's more stories. I think Iggy Pop, there was a, something happened with Iggy Pop. And I don't want to ruin it, but Iggy Pop turned around to him and said something to him like, that's the nicest anyone's been to me in a long time, man. Like Iggy Pop. Like, I think he might have been crying when he said that. So we have that story to look forward to. And yeah, the Kurt Cobain thing, It's, I think it's incredible that 
I don't know why I'm so fascinated with the fact that there's a guy working over there in Clare and he's the guy that delivered the note to Courtney Love to tell her that Kurt Cobain was dead. That just, I was going to say blows my mind, but I shouldn't say that. That would be cruel. That would be the wrong thing to say. Uh, But there you go. So we will hear from Mike again. Uh, Thank you very much for listening to my very first episode of my very first podcast. Um, And hopefully there will be many, many more. I have a lot of interviews in the bag, so there better be. Although, like, you know the way you just get lazy? (laughs) I'll do three. And then I'll have people going, whatever happened to that podcast you were doing? Oh, yeah, I must get back to that someday. That, the ironing, cutting the grass putting up that shelf in the spare room, all those things. I'll get to them. It'll be fine. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review and, of course, a five-star rating. Is that what you do? And tell a friend to tell a friend. John, John, is that, did I, who said that? Ice Cube. Ice Cube. John, John, my engineer. I'm calling you my engineer. Are you my engineer, John? John knows John's my podcast guy friend. <laughs> My friend John and my friend Mike, that's what I'll call you from now on. Um, so John told me that Ice Cube said, tell a friend to tell a friend. So it's a direct quote from John, an Ice Cube quote from John. Um, thanks very much for listening. If you have anything you want to send to me directly, keithwalchpod at gmail.com is the email address. We would love to hear from you. Signing off. This is me, Keith Walsh, for now. See you on the other side. You never know when to sign off, do you? You always just keep going, don't you, Keith? You always just keep adding another fucking word. I never know when to say goodbye. I never know what the Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.